Romans 5, 1 through 5. Since therefore we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's word for us this morning. I want to preach to you this morning on this theme. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Father, we ask that you would help us as we study this text, that you would speak to us and show us that even in our sufferings we can rejoice because it strengthens our hope in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's, let's jump right in. Verse 2, we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. That makes sense. And, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That doesn't make sense. Another word for rejoice in the original language translated into the English could be the word boast. To boast in something is to rejoice in it. He boasts in the glory of God, and not only that, but he says, I boast in my sufferings. Now, suffering is connected with shame. There is a, 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 a bit of shame that is attached to suffering. I mean, just think of Job in his suffering, you know, that great story in the Old Testament. He loses everything. Why is his suffering so bad? It's not merely the pain, but it's also the shame. You know, it's the shame of lying in his own filth, the shame of lying naked with his wounds all over his body, the shame of his friends and his wife gloating at, over him and just staring at him uh, 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 as, as if he's become some, some sort of curse. Now, how can we boast in something shameful? You know, our, our suffering, it, it, it shames us. It, it, it shames our bodies. It, it shames uh, our strength. It shames our plans. It shames uh, our ability to be able to connect with others. It, it shows everybody around us that we are not actually strong and always put together, but rather we are frail and we are often weak. So suffering is tough. And this doesn't make any sense. Some years ago, many years ago, I preached this very 
text in this verse. And when I, when I got to that verse, the verse 3, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, a young woman in the congregation stood up and walked out. And you know, it was sort of like that walk out, like I know she, she didn't just have to go meet somebody, it was like a clear like, I'm protesting kind of walk out. <laughs> Maybe you don't know that. If you were a preacher, you would know that because it happens. Like, oh, there they go. And so I met up with her later that week, and, and she said, you know, my suffering is so great, and it is attached to uh, so much shame in my life. She said, I, don't, I can't sit here and listen to how Paul can say that he rejoices in his sufferings. And I understand it's tough for many of us. So, we've got to study it. How can Paul say that he rejoices in his sufferings? Well, let's look at the text. Let's just jump right in and get to it. Verse 1, there's a therefore. Now, he's, he's connecting, if you remember the last four chapters of Romans, we've been studying this. It's largely focused on the fact that we are made right before God through our faith, not by our works. Justified is the word made right for God, or made right between us and God, all right? Uh, we're justified by faith, not by works, all right? This big sort of theoretical, theological, doctrinal stuff, right? We've been walking through it for many weeks now. Therefore, chapters 1 through 4, therefore, Paul is saying, let's talk about how now this affects us in our daily life. What's the day-to-day -day application, or even, we can look at it this way, what are the various blessings that are attached with this doctrine of justification by faith alone. Therefore, verse 1, and then he goes on, and the first 10 verses really are connected as blessings, verse 1 through 10. And the commentators say that verses 3 through 5 are somewhat of a, what they call an excursus, or basically a rabbit trail where Paul is talking about this big main theme of the blessings that come out of our justification by faith, and then verses 3 through 5, sort of suffering becomes like this little rabbit trail, and then he gets back to the main, the main point, as if suffering is not quite connected to the main point. And I think it is a little bit of a rabbit trail. That's often the way Paul writes. But I don't think Paul would see it as a rabbit trail. I think Paul would actually say, if you don't understand how justification by faith speaks to how we walk through our suffering, then I don't think you've understood justification by faith. Like, I think for Paul, it's, it's not a rabbit trail. I think it's part of the main point. Why? Well, it's because suffering is everybody's problem. I mean, we can't talk about life without talking about suffering. You know, for some, you might feel like your whole life is suffering. You know, never enough money to pay the bills. You know what it's like to have to skip a meal because you don't have enough money. Uh, bouts of depression or loneliness. But also, don't just think that if you have all of the world's goods, then that means that you don't have any suffering. I mean, people who have the most cash in the world and all of the fame and all of the fortune 
and a beautiful bodies and a beautiful house and a beautiful vacation house and three cars also have suffering in this world. As a matter of fact, it's ironic, but sometimes the more you have, the more you have to lose. My point is that suffering knows no class boundaries, no ethnic boundaries, no gender boundaries. Suffering affects everybody. It's a problem of pain, and pain comes to all of us. Now, for, for some of you, you might be suffering right now. There, there might be a sense in which you are walking through an element of suffering, and, and if you are, let me just say, we are with you, even if we don't know about it, in spirit, and I'm sorry that you are suffering. It is painful, and it is never good. But I think I can say for all of us that there's a sense in which we all fear suffering. We fear it. We don't want to take that phone call because we're afraid of what the message is going to be. We, want to, we don't want to look at that email because we're afraid of the emotional suffering that can come with it. We don't want to have that conversation with somebody. You know, what if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough money? What if I lose my friend? What if, uh, what if I have to move? You know, all of these what ifs in life that, 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 that can bring about an element of suffering. What if I go to the doctor and it's not a good report as I get older? Uh, what's going to happen with my body? What if my health is not good enough? How am I going to die? I've heard so many people say, I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid how I'm going to die. Fear, fear actually cripples us. Because of fear of suffering, we are unable to take risk. Now, think, think of Paul's own life, writing from prison, Paul looking uh, at in 10 years, he's going to be in Rome, dying himself, his head is going to be chopped off. Paul has plenty to fear about in this world, yet Paul every day risks his life for the good of the gospel, for the good of the world, for the good of God's people, living an incredible life. Why? I think it's because Paul was able to deal with this problem of suffering. I think it's because Paul had no fear of suffering. And so whether you're going through fear now, uh, suffering now, or whether you are like many of us who just fear suffering, what I want to do is, is, is root into this little rabbit trail, if you would, verses 3 through 5, We'll look at verses 1 through 10 next time, uh, and I want to focus on suffering today, so that we might not fear it, so that we might not be crippled today, so that we might actually be more effective and useful in this world and for the kingdom of God. And what we're going to discover is that for the Christian, suffering does not destroy our hope. But suffering actually serves to strengthen our hope. Therefore, we need not fear it. Are you with me? So why not fear suffering? Point number one, we have a real hope. Everybody say, hope. We have a real hope. Look at verse one. Therefore, let's apply it, since 
We have been justified by faith. That's the theology we've looked at in uh, chapters 1 through 4. Here's the first blessing. He says, we have peace with God. Now, what does peace with God mean? Verses 6 through 8 tells us that God makes us right with him while we were yet sinners. Verse 10 tells us that God reconciled us to himself. You see, the primary issue we have with God is not that we are mad at God and that we have to somehow find peace with God as if it's on us to figure out how to justify God for what God has done in our life. And then, therefore, we're walking around with no inner peace, and you got to make yourself right with God and find your peace with God, and then you can have a nice inner peace, feelings of peace before God. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, is our biggest problem is that God is not right with us. That God has had wrath for humanity. That's our biggest problem. And that's what we've seen Paul just meticulously lay out in chapters 1 through 4, how God took care of it. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death, through then counting our faith as righteousness, applying that to us through his resurrection, confidence that we are made right with God. So therefore, first blessing is we have peace with God. Look, church, this is one thing that's true for all of us who are in Christ. In Christ, if you are in Christ, God will never abandon you. Notice in verse 1, he says, this is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 continues that same theme. He says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Standing in uh, the Old Testament is a metaphor for making it through the wrath of God. Making it through the judgment. So if you think of Psalm 1, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, whereas the righteous will stand. It's the picture that Jesus gave himself of the man who built his house on sand and the winds came and the the floods came and blew and beat against that house and the house fell it did not stand but the wise man built his house upon the rock and the winds came the floods came they all blew and beat on that house and the house stood You see, our greatest problem is actually the judgment of God. And Christ is the rock who withstood God's judgment for us on the cross. And the wise man builds his house on the rock. And we stand. We stand. We have peace with God. So, Back to verse 2, as we are no longer God's enemy, there is no wrath left for us. The next blessing is this. He says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here's the second blessing. We rejoice, he says, in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, we lost his glory 
now we can rejoice in the hope of His glory. Now hope is often misunderstood. We talk about the blessed hope in theology. Well, that's the second coming of Jesus. We talk about the hope that we have. That's the glory of God, a.k.a. heaven, all right? But hope is often misunderstood. Because in English language, hope sometimes sounds more like a wish. Uh, it may or may not happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're trying to uh, buy a building, and I hope that we get the building. But even saying that means we might not. You know, or if, if I owe you $20, and you say, hey, Joel, uh, you know, could you give me that $20, $20 back? I, I need it. And I say, yeah, man, I, I hope I can give it to you. <laughs> you hope. <laughs> I mean, you see, hope carries this connotation of like, I might not be able to, you know? That's how we use hope in our language. And so hope gets confusing for us when we think about the hope that we have in Christ because it almost sounds like what we're saying is, is we may or may not make it. We may or may not have. I hope I do. But I, I might not. But that's not how hope is used in the Bible and in Jewish imagery, all right? Hope in the Bible is unshakable. So this is why I said that the second blessing is that we have an unshakable hope. I have to add that word unshakable because we are English speakers and we don't even understand what the word hope means, all right? We have an unshakable hope. Meaning, it's the same thing as certainty. We have an absolute certainty is what we're saying. So let me ask you this question. What fear should the Christian have? What fear should we have? In what ways should we as Christians be gripped by the fears of the future, by the worry of what's to come, by the sufferings that we might face, by the anxieties that we might have to go through? Church, we have... In Christ, a certain hope. Yeah. Meaning, let's just walk it through. We've, been, we've died with Christ, all right? We have been raised with Christ. We have been justified in His resurrection. We then have this hope that Jesus is going to come again. This has all been laid out for us in the Scriptures. If He rose from the dead, we can be sure that He's coming again to receive us as his own, those who put their faith in him. Meaning a Christian is just somebody who believes the facts. Yeah. And the fact is, we have peace with God. We have the hope of the glory of God. And so then in the face of suffering, we have an unshakable hope. Not only that, but it gets better. It's not only that our hope of heaven is going to get us through our times of suffering. It gets better. What we discover here is that suffering actually serves to strengthen our hope. So that's my second point. Suffering serves to strengthen our hope. 
A preacher told a story of his daughter throwing a rubber ball on the ground, and the ball would bounce higher than, uh, than, than the girl was. And, and so she was so amazed by this. She said to her daddy, she says, the harder I throw it on the ground, the higher the ball flies. And so being a preacher, he had to move into sermon mode, you know. And he said, well, he said, if you threw a plate on the ground, it would shatter. If you threw a sandbag on the ground, it would just land flat. But you throw the ball on the ground, and it flies higher. It's because of what it's made of. And he makes a point. You see, we can be thrown on the ground in our suffering and fly high. Why? It's not really because of what we are made of, you know, in our flesh, as if we were just born better than everybody else. No, that's a worldly mentality of resilience. We have a different kind of resilience. it's, it's, It's actually what Christ is made of and who we are because we have placed our faith on that rock, all right? Somebody asked C.S. Lewis once, they said, why is it that the righteous suffer? C.S. Lewis's answer was, why not? They are the only ones that can take it. And I think he's right. It's because of what Christ is and who we are remade as. So why is it that we can take it? Let's just keep walking through this. Why can we take suffering? Because some religious types will tell you that God won't allow the faithful to suffer. He's going to get you through all of your suffering in a way that you are not harmed by it, you know, in a way that you won't feel any pain, like you are not actually going to have suffering, you're going to have his protection. But that's not the Bible. You know, I mean, the Bible, there, there is suffering. And so then some, some unreligious types would say, See, there is suffering in the world. And and even Christians suffer. And so they would say, that's why I can't believe in God. Because God allows or has even ordained so much suffering in the world. But what I want you to see here is that as we have been justified by faith, which has led us to this unshakable hope, what we see is that God in his sovereign wisdom has wired everything to work out so that the suffering you face in this life will actually strengthen your hope for your good, for your betterment. So in an unthinkable fashion, Paul talks about the benefits of suffering. The benefits of suffering. I I almost called my sermon the benefits of suffering, and then I thought, no, that's too daring. That's too Pauline. (laughs) So I'm going to just take a text. We rejoice in our sufferings. I'm going to just use that line. But Paul here, in his rejoicing in our sufferings, he, he actually talks about the benefits of suffering. So let's just walk through the benefits as as he explains them, verse 3 and verse 4. What are the benefits? First, he he gives us this this chain, this this link to link to link. You know, when you suffer, responding the right way as a Christian, this is what it does. Suffering, he says, number one, produces endurance. 
Suffering produces endurance. Now, there's a sense in which even secular people understand this to a degree. There there was a, a judge who was speaking to a ninth grade graduating class. And in his speech, he took an unexpected turn. He said, now the commencement speakers will typically also wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that, and I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope that you will be treated unfairly, that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. I'm sorry to say it, but I hope that you will be lonely from time to time, that you don't take friends for granted. And he just went on and on like that. What he's saying is this. Is, um, he says, I hope, ninth graders, I hope that, at, that your life will include some suffering because he understands that suffering has a way of making us better. A wrong response to suffering, which is more common than what we're seeing here. This is not a given. This is godliness, all right? The more common response to suffering is to cave under under it, to be crushed by it, to curse God and die, to give up, to become a complainer, to blame, to become bitter and angry, and then, therefore, to fear future suffering that could come and to live a life of preservation and protection so that we don't feel uh, feel any more suffering, to take no risk, and to be less useful in the world. That doesn't have to be our response. Helen Keller was one of our great activists Uh, She was a uh, disability rights activist. She was an author and a lecturer. And by the way, she was blind and she was deaf. When she was 19 months old, she had caught a fever as as just a a toddler. And and as a result of the fever, she lost her ability to see and she lost her ability to hear. Helen Keller said, although the world is full of suffering... It is also full of overcoming it. What she's saying is biblical, and she was a Christian, by the way. She says, she's saying that, a, 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 that suffering has the ability to produce in humanity a certain kind of endurance that you would have not otherwise learned had you not suffered. And this is true, I know for many of you, some of you sitting here would not actually be here having faith in Jesus Christ if it wasn't for the suffering that you went through. It produces a kind of endurance. For Paul, it's very much so spiritual. This is not just a human thing. As one commentator puts it, For for Paul, this is a spiritual fortitude. I like that word, fortitude, strength. It's a spiritual fortitude bearing up under you that you develop while you're going through suffering, responding in the right way, looking to God in trust. 
what we discover is that we have in Christ the ability to power through it. That we have, we have in Christ the ability to get through it. Meaning there's nothing in this world that can shake our justification with God, which is most important to our souls. And it does something in us. It gives us a fortitude. It gives us a strength, or as Paul uses the word, endurance. For Helen Keller, this meant learning to speak and learning to write without ever having seen a word on paper or heard a word with her ears. Endurance. Something beautiful. Fortitude. Listen to how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 124. He says, If it had not been for the Lord on our side, when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. Then the waters had overwhelmed us. The stream would have gone over our soul. Then the proud waters would have gone over our soul. If it had not been for the Lord on our side, we often sing that hook on Sunday mornings here as a church. If it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? But here's the catch, church. You can never know that God will get you through something if you have never gone through that something. And so this leads then to Paul's second point. He says, it, uh, 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 knowing that suffering produces endurance, verse 4, and endurance produces what? Endurance produces character. As we go through it, as we have the spiritual fortitude, we actually have, have a more godly character. As we look to God during our suffering, as we trust in God, what we discover is that we are built on this solid rock that cannot be shaken. And we become better people, is what he's saying. And you know this is true. Like, you're not really interested in sitting down with that old, old uh, uh, entitled man who has, uh, acts like he's never had a problem a day in his life and acts like he's never suffered a day in his life. And at the same time, you're not really all that interested in sitting down with and learning from that old uh, uh, man or old, old woman who's just become bitter by suffering and they've, they've gone through challenges and they just are angry and, and they're fearful and, and protective of their, their own feelings and emotions. No, the kind of person that you are interested in sitting down with and learning from and gaining wisdom is the kind of person who has suffered and done well. You know, find the saint who has weathered some storms and has found the ability, ability to say, God was able to get me through it. Find the saint who lost everything but kept her faith and was able to tell about it. Find the saint who can say, if it had not been... For the Lord on my side, where would I be? That is the person of character that you want to sit down with and learn from. The person who you, whose wisdom you want to 
you want to glean from, the person who's learned to fix their eyes on the things to come, not on, not on the things of this earth. The person who's learned that as they turn their eyes to Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. The person who you want to sit down with and learn from is the person who has learned this third link. And that is this, that character produces hope. So let's walk it through. Suffering produces what? Endurance. Endurance produces what? Character. And character produces, we're back to hope. We're back to the hope of glory. He's saying our hope of glory is not disconnected from the sufferings that we face in this world. But as a matter of fact, going through the sufferings in this world strengthens our ability to have hope in the glories that are to come. Meaning, when you have a right response to suffering, you grow in your spiritual endurance, you develop the right kind of character, and you have greater, not lesser, hope. For this individual, heaven is not merely obscure, but heaven is obvious. Heaven is not distant, but heaven is imminent. Heaven is not removed, but heaven is home. Now you see, most people don't respond well to suffering. And as a result, there's a real threat there. Despair, doubting. But if we respond in our suffering, through looking to Christ, what he's saying is, is that we will actually grow in a durable hope. And so Paul then rejoices, not because suffering itself is enjoyable. No, he doesn't like suffering. He longs for the day when tears are wiped away. That's why he talks about the hope of glory. But he, 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 he rejoices nonetheless in his suffering because what it does is it produces in him an enlarged view of heaven. Now some push back here. Some say, you see, this is the problem with Christians. Christians are so heavenly minded, they're, they're no earthly good. You know, they're not doing anything about the circumstances of this world because they're just hoping and waiting for the sweet by and by. But that's not actually true for Paul, and that's not actually true for the Christians that I know. Kent Hughes talks about, in a book that I'm reading right now, he talks about Martin Luther and, and how Luther said once that he lives only in two days. Luther said, I live in a day which is called today, and I live in a day which God has promised in the future, which he calls that day, the day that is to come, the day when Jesus returns, makes all things new, raises our bodies from the dead, and we live forever with God. He says, I live in two days. I live in today, and I live in that day. You know, yesterday and tomorrow are kind of theoretical. What we have really is today. 
And Hughes explains that for Luther, living in light of that day does not make him less useful in this day, but actually makes him more useful. Meaning, if we focus on today, the moment that God has given you, the opportunities that God has given you today, the abilities that God has given you today, the people He has put in your life today, if we focus on today, with a view on that day that is to come, the hope of glory, and we do all things for the benefit of that day, then we will actually become more useful in this day. Are you with me? Yeah. And so what Paul is saying is, he's not saying just focus on the sweet by and by to kind of like numb you to the problems of today. No, he's actually saying that you will be more freed from suffering and you will be more, or freed from, I'm sorry, the fear of suffering, not suffering itself, but the fear of suffering, and you will actually be more useful today, focusing on tomorrow, that day. Church, when we are freed from fear, we will live our lives to the fullest today. We will set aside the worries of suffering and be able to enjoy reading a book to our toddler or whatever it is that God has given you. My point is these, these things in life that we so often just brush by, we don't take time to enjoy, we don't take time to just enjoy the creation that God has given us because we are so filled with worry and fear about suffering. Freed from that, we can actually live today in the world that God has given us. We can go the extra mile in serving uh, another church member or serving somebody that is in need of help. We could take the opportunity to actually evangelize and share the gospel with our neighbor. We can take the opportunity to fight against injustice and be active in working out solutions as we live today in view of that day that is to come. Do you have this hope? Do you have this rock-solid hope that gives you joy and a smile through everything? A real, permanent home in heaven. Do you have this hope? Now, you might say, man, I wish I had that kind of hope but I don't. I actually struggle focusing on heaven. I struggle living my life heavenly oriented. I'm so concerned about the things of this world, I actually don't have much of a hope in heaven. Well, if you don't have that hope, we can actually just turn this whole thing around. If you don't have that hope, it means there's some, some issue with your character. If there's some issue with your character, you're lacking in godly character, it means that you haven't yet learned spiritual endurance. And if you haven't learned spiritual endurance, there's probably some element of suffering in your life that you didn't handle well. And so a good counselor would sit down with you and say, let's just focus right there on that suffering. 
What does it look like to properly lament, to properly grieve? What does it look like to properly look to the Lord in your suffering? And God, what we, what we discover is that God points us to the truth that is found in verse 5. As we look to Him in our suffering, what we see is this. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, and hope does not put us to shame. Do you see that connection with suffering? As our view of heaven expands, what we see is that in heaven there is no shame. And we're able to deal with our suffering. Why? Because, he says, look at this, God's love, this is current, not future. God's love has currently. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us and he communicates to our senses God's love. Without Jesus, our suffering would only lead us to shame. But because of Jesus and with Jesus, he has enlarged our view of heaven and there is no shame. He doesn't just simply revive us, but now He walks with us, filling us with the love of God through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, and we can feel it. We can feel His love. Pastor Tony Evans uh, tells a story of a man who has a heart attack, and he says that uh, the ambulance comes and and uh, gets, gets you, the, the guy who has a heart attack, and he says the first thing that the paramedic does for you is he stabilizes you. And then he puts you on the cot in the, into the back of the ambulance. But as they drive to the hospital, he says he doesn't just sit up front, but he actually stays in the back now that you're stabilized, and now he says he's, that the paramedic sustains you. See, don't you understand that God doesn't, simply save us and then get to the front seat and leave us alone on the Christian journey. But, but Christ comes along and sends us the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who fills us with love. And He communicates God's love to our senses. What He says is, I, I haven't only stabilized you, uh, but I am going to sustain you until that day I bring you home. This is the God we serve. This is the work of Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is with us, church, and He will never leave us. So Paul says, I not only rejoice in the hope of glory, but also I rejoice in my sufferings because it leads me to a greater hope in glory. Never suffering itself that Paul glorifies. And there's, there's nothing inherently good about pain. That's part of the fall that Jesus is doing away with. But what he's saying is, is what's, what I rejoice in is how the Lord has increased my faith 
through it. Church, it's this theme throughout all of the scriptures. What the devil meant for good. God, oh, I'm sorry, what the devil meant for our evil. God meant for our good. Meaning what the devil meant to destroy you, God meant to grow you. What the devil meant to crush you, God meant to increase your faith. What the devil meant to drag you to hell, God meant to enlarge your view of heaven. God has a way to take what Satan is doing and to turn it around up on his head. I mean, just think about it, church. The greatest suffering, the greatest shame that any one man went through was also, in that moment, the greatest scheme of Satan to destroy the redemptive work of God. But what the devil meant for evil, God meant for, the, for, for good. And so as Satan launches his attack against Christ, Christ is saying, I am going to redeem my people. Oh, it wasn't easy. It, the, uh, we're, we're told for the, uh, that, that he despised the shame. But for the joy set before him, he endured the shame. And he took on the cross and he died. Church, there is no rejoicing in death. There is no boasting in death. But I think we sing a song at times that says something like, I will boast in the cross of Christ. How is it possible that we can boast and rejoice in Christ's sufferings? It's because of what God did through it. It's because Jesus didn't stay dead. But he rose early that Sunday morning. And rising, he justified freely forever. And one day, church, he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Since suffering strengthens our hope, we need not fear suffering. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this word. We pray that you would use this to strengthen our own faith, that we would look toward Christ, see a greater vision of heaven, a hope of glory, that we might live this day for that day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.